Well, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. We are working our way through the Old Testament prophet Daniel. You'll find Daniel in your Old Testament after what are called the 12 major because they're long prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and before the 12 minor because they're shorter prophets that finish the Old Testament. We're in Daniel chapter 4 as tonight we catch a glimpse of uh, our last glimpse of a mighty king Nebuchadnezzar and uh, we also hear um, the story of his last confession and we'll see how God humbles a proud man and shows him mercy. Now, it's a long chapter, and as we prepare to read it, uh, it might be helpful for me to outline it on the front end so you kind of get a sense of where the passage is going. In verses 1 to 3, we read Nebuchadnezzar's instructions, um, or I'm sorry, introduction to the story of uh, another dream that God gave him. And it tells you what he learned in that dream. It's, it's the conclusion after all the events brought forward to the beginning of the story. That's verses 1 to 3. Then in verses 4 to 18, we read the content of the dream that God gave him. In verses 19 to 27, we read the interpretation of that dream by Daniel. In verses 34 to, uh, 28 to 33, we see the fulfillment of the dream as God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. And then at verse 34 to 37, we read the response of Nebuchadnezzar to God. So this is where it all goes. Let me invite you to hear God's authoritative and inspired word. Beginning at verse 1, Daniel chapter 4. And as you hear it, one more thing, listen for the phrase repeated multiple times, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it. To whom he will. Hear now the word of God. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great! Are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the vision 
of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it. The lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, And it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. 
You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers. And his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. And praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Amen. This is God's word. May he cut our hearts with it. Let's look to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, this is your word. Teach us, we pray. Speak to us. 
cut our hearts with it. Write it on our minds. Show us your glory and humble us that we might know your mercy. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't you just hate some of those glowing family letters you get this time of year? Uh, You know, the ones that run like this. It's been a great year for the lamplighters. Greg had been hoping for a promotion, but what a surprise when the CEO came into his office, sat at his desk, and begged him to take over the company. The whole office chipped in and gave the family a week in Paris to celebrate. Wasn't that nice? Of course, Jeannie has been busy as well. You probably saw that news item about how she rescued a school bus full of children from a kidnapper armed only with a plastic home. Nice to think, too, that the poem she wrote for last year's holiday newsletter will be chiseled into the wall of the Library of Congress. The twins, they did so well at the state tap dance championship that Spielberg is crafting a movie around them, while Greg Jr.'s science fair project, chip off the old block that he is, was the topic of much excitement in the New England Journal of Medicine. Never get a Christmas newsletter like that, and you want to light it in fire and jump all over the pieces? (laughs) Why is that? Pride. But the problem isn't just the oh-so-apparent pride of the lamplighters in their achievements. No, the problem is also in me. Because pride in me compares me to them. And I hate their newsletter because in some way, I wish my achievements outdid theirs. And thinking to myself, well, why can't they be more humble just shows I wish they would be more like I would be if I was in their shoes. But of course, how arrogant of me. And human pride is sneaky and it's strong. And it's silly before the Most High God. Before us here in this story of Nebuchadnezzar is the story of God humbling a proud king. And in it we learn God is sovereign over the kingdoms of this world. And in it we see his sovereign mercy upon an arrogant king. And I'd like to highlight three things in this very long text. The first is about Daniel, who is God's ambassador. The second thing I want you to see is about God and his sovereign rule. And the third thing is about Nebuchadnezzar and his spiritual conversion. Let me invite you to consider those three things in the first place. Consider Daniel, who is the ambassador of God's truth in verses 4 through 27. You've got mighty Nebuchadnezzar who has a dream and Daniel interprets it. Nebuchadnezzar, this is not his first disturbing dream, but in this one he dreams of a tree that grows strong, reaches into the heavens, extends to the far ends of the earth where it's visible by all, and it's filled with good things. And and a heavenly messenger comes down with orders to chop down the tree, and he whacks away at it, and he strips its leaves, and he scatters its fruit, but he leaves a stump. The stump will be wet with dew. The stump will become like a beast of the field. The stump is a person. The stump is Nebuchadnezzar. 
What we should see here is not how difficult this dream was to interpret. In fact, it it seems pretty self-explanatory. But typically, Nebuchadnezzar calls all his pagan professional paid uh, charmers and astrologers to tell him the meaning. They can't or they won't. You get the impression that Nebuchadnezzar's wise men could have guessed at, at least some of the meaning of this, but they probably shrunk back in fear from saying what seemed so obvious and so outrageous about Nebuchadnezzar's future. Perhaps Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar himself understood it. Perhaps. I mean, he may have asked Daniel to interpret it, actually in the hopes that what was said uh, wasn't what it seemed. So uh, either way, what we see again is the failure of paganism here. Even when the truth seems obvious, people refuse to acknowledge it. The pagan wise men won't or can't. Nebuchadnezzar won't or can't. But Daniel, Daniel tells him the truth. This, he says, is you, O King Nebuchadnezzar. You will become like an ox. You are going to eat grass. So I say, what we shouldn't think is difficult here is the interpretation. But what we should see that's difficult is how difficult it is for Daniel to actually deliver the news. Verse 19, when he gets to the interpretation, notice it says that he was dismayed for a while. And his own thoughts alarmed him. And he wishes, he says, that this dream wasn't for Nebuchadnezzar but for Nebuchadnezzar's enemies. Daniel, the prophet of God, the faithful deliverer of the word of God, the judgment of God, he does it with a tender and compassionate heart here. Why? He loves Nebuchadnezzar. He loves this pagan king. Think of it. A man who has exiled him away from his family into Babylon, A man who has basically enslaved him and forced him to be a civil servant in his government. Who has just recently, chapter 3, thrown his three friends into a fiery furnace for not bowing before the image. And Daniel's immediate reaction to the dream is, oh king, may this not be for you. May this be for those who hate you. What a tender-hearted servant of God. And friend, we might say, to Nebuchadnezzar. And this is the kind of love that God's people ought to have for unbelievers. Like the Apostle Paul in Romans 9, when he delivers that hard news about the sovereignty of God's mercy and judgment, he begins the chapter where he mourns for his fellow Jews for their rejection of Christ. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul in Romans 9 says, they are cut off from salvation. They have turned their backs upon their Messiah. And this was according to God's sovereign mercy because he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And yet I grieve for them. And I could wish that I might be allowed to be cut off, that they might be saved. And think of how he did, in fact, on their behalf, suffer for them for the sake of the gospel, abused by them, nearly killed multiple times. 
This is the attitude of the servant of God that we ought to have. Here's Daniel, the ambassador, wishing the dream isn't true. Yet knowing that God is God and that he will do what he will do in matters of mercy and justice. So Daniel here, taking no pleasure, yet delivers the severe word. He doesn't shrink back, as my Old Testament professor Ralph Davis says, there is a love-driven sadness that cringes to speak the hard word of God, yet a God-honoring obedience that speaks it anyway. And so Daniel tells him the interpretation of the dream. It is you, O Nebuchadnezzar. But notice he doesn't just tell the interpretation. Look down at verse 27. He not only speaks with compassion and candor, but he offers his own counsel at verse 27. Therefore, O king, he says, let my counsel be acceptable to you. What does he say to him? Break off your sins. Repent, he says to him. Quit practicing your sin, but practice righteousness. And break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there perhaps may be a lengthening of your prosperity. He calls on Nebuchadnezzar to his face, to stop his wicked ways. To do what's right and just, particularly to show mercy to those who are oppressed. And he offers him this glimmer of hope. The days of your prosperity might just continue, Daniel says. Perhaps, in other words, perhaps, I don't know it for sure, but perhaps God will relent from this threat. God has a habit of doing that. Do you remember the story of Jonah? When Jonah was sent to Nineveh, he didn't want to go, but he went and he finally told them there are going to be 40 days and then judgment. And what did the king of Nineveh do? He called on each person to turn from his evil way and from the violence that was in their hands. And he said, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And it says in Jonah 3, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. That's the hope Daniel holds out here that he hints at. So what I want you to see is, is what, a, what a huge gift Nebuchadnezzar is given here. The gift of a courageous, compassionate candid ambassador of the kingdom of God. Nebuchadnezzar gets to hear the truth from the mouth of a person who loves him and he gets a warning about what is to come and he gets counsel about repentance. Let me ask you this question. Are you listening when God's ambassadors speak to you? It is a great gift, even if it's hard things. Now, that's the first thing I want you to see, the ambassador of the truth. The second is I want you to see why will all this happen? Why is all of this going to come about? Well, so that Nebuchadnezzar and the whole world can know the sovereignty of God's rule. Verses 28 through 33, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't repent, though he's given a whole year to do so. But after 12 months, God does what God said he would do. All this came upon him. He's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, looking down on his kingdom and saying, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built, 
by my mighty power. And you can almost hear him saying, my, oh my, will wonders never cease? Just look how awesome I am. (laughs) And it was, in fact, an amazing city. We know historically uh, from archaeologists and Herodotus and others, the historian, ancient historian, that this city was built on the banks of the Euphrates River. It actually pierced through the city, and the city was divided on either side. There was a 262-foot moat that surrounded the city. It had two sets of double walls for protection. The first set of double walls had an inner wall that was 21 feet thick and an outer wall that was 11 feet thick with watchtowers every 60 feet. The walls were nearly 40 feet tall. Then east of the Euphrates River, he added another double wall 17 miles long, wide enough at the top that chariots could run it drawn by four horses and pass one another along that wall. The Ishtar Gate, which is famous in history on the north side, led to Procession Street. It was 62 feet long and a thousand yards, or 62 feet wide and a thousand yards long, and it was paved with imported stone. And a 400-foot bridge spanned the Euphrates River. These are not cave dwellers. In the city was one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, it said he built them for his wife. No wonder he was talking to himself about it. Can you imagine his Christmas newsletter? (laughs) But notice how he goes on. This I have built by my great power. Why? For the, verse 30, for the glory of my majesty. He had forgotten The names of two streets below him, historians tell us. One was called Bow Down, Proud One. And the other was called May the Arrogant Not Flourish. (laughs) Had he failed to take to heart one of the names of his own palace, which was the place where proud ones are compelled to submit. That was the name, one of the names of his own palace. How, How easily we deceive ourselves. While the words of self-exaltation are still in his mouth, a voice from heaven speaks, the kingdom is departed from you, you will eat grass, dew of heaven will be on your body until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And God humbles him just as he says he would. He makes Nebuchadnezzar suffer from a disease um, that we call boanthropy uh, from bovine He becomes like a beast, not in his right mind, not caring for his own body. His hair grows long. His nails grow so long they curl up like talons. He eats grass like an animal. This is a real condition from which some people have suffered besides him. Some people lose their minds in such a way that they act like animals. Psychiatric hospitals have cared for people in this kind of condition. And I'm not telling you that to say to you, well, therefore the Bible is true and you must believe it, but just to say that you shouldn't think the Bible is stupid. This isn't stupid. Things like this happen. People eat dirt. People eat metal. People eat rocks and stones. People get these kinds of conditions. Nebuchadnezzar lived like an animal. For the life that says of seven times, it's uncertain what that means, though the number of seven is the number of completion in the Bible. It just may mean he... Thoroughly endured 
in this state all that God had said he would until he was restored. Now, why does it happen? Verse 32, verse 17, verse 25. So that you can know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. Look at the lengths God goes to to humble the proud who don't believe that. It is a mercy when he does humble in that way. As James and Peter in the New Testament testify, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here to Nebuchadnezzar, God is demonstrating his sovereignty. God is saying to him, I don't just rule up there, I rule down here on the earth. And I give kingdoms to whoever I want so that not only the destiny of nations, but even the specific rulers over those nations are appointed by God in all their places. And God does this freely. Nobody converses, coerces him. Nobody manipulates him. And as my Old Testament prophet said, no one plays parent to God and slaps his hand as though he had made a mistaken move. Well, there are personal implications and there are political implications of this. Let me highlight two personal implications. Walt Kaiser, a preacher, tells the story of the funeral of King Louis XIV of France. He had requested that the service be in the cathedral of Notre Dame and that all would be darkened except for one candle on the casket at the front. But when the court preacher, Massillon, got up to give the funeral oration, he walked over to the casket snuffed out the light, and began his message with the words, only God is great. Only God is great. And that is what you and I need to go around muttering to ourselves. Because pride isn't just Nebuchadnezzar's problem, it's our problem. We all want to call our own shots. We all want to direct our own show. We want to be God to ourselves. And it doesn't end well if we go that route. And it doesn't end well if God leaves us self-satisfied, comfortable, and content in our pride, not realizing that we are wallowing in the filth of a pigsty like the prodigal son, blind to our own condition. It is rather a mercy from God when you catch a glimpse of your own stinking heart and you realize there is a beast inside you, when God gives you insight into your own depravity and it frightens you how much like a wild animal you are, how easily you become a snarling, vicious predator trampling all over others while you fight for yourself. It's a mercy to you when you see that, that vile filth of your own heart. When you are brought low, you get to see yourself as you are. But there are political implications of this too. Human rulers, tyrannical, dictatorial, or democratic, are God's appointments among the kingdoms of this world until King Jesus returns himself to establish his everlasting kingdom. Put not, therefore, your trust in princes, in frail human flesh, in whom there is no salvation, says Psalm 146. Don't put your trust in Obama or McConnell or Boehner. 
but put your trust in Jesus alone, who rules them all. So we see in this passage, we see Daniel, the ambassador of God's truth. We see the sovereignty of God's rule. But in the last place, we see one more thing in verses 34 to 37. As this story wraps up, we see the conversion of God's enemy. Having taught him his sovereignty, God now teaches him his mercy. And at the end, Nebuchadnezzar comes to faith. Verse 34, he lifts up his eyes to heaven. That's significant. On the rooftop, exalting himself, he looked out and he looked down at all he had made. But with his head in the grass, he finally lifts his eyes up and looks to heaven. He looks away from himself and away from his achievements. And he looks for the first time to God himself on his throne. And we see here in the story of his conversion that God always gets his man. When he is determined to save you, he will do whatever it takes to humble you, to save you. And it will not be to boost you up, but it will to be to bring you down. People think, if I could just see a miracle, I'd believe. But Nebuchadnezzar saw three men thrown into a fiery furnace and not even singed, and he didn't believe or repent. It takes more than signs and wonders to convert people. It takes a work of God in us to humble us. And we see it happen in the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. There are three things you see. You see his acknowledgement, you see his acceptance, and you see his adoration. You see his acknowledgement. He openly confesses that the Most High God, the King of Heaven, rules and reigns. And lest you think... That, that's just conversion to monotheism. There's really, okay, there's just one God way up there or the highest above all gods. This is conversion, I would argue, to the Messiah. Because in chapter 2, in the other dream, he had learned of the king of kings who was coming, who would come as the stone, the rock, that would crush all the kingdoms of Babylon and those that would follow. He's already heard the promise of Jesus and now he confesses openly. He believes in this king of kings and his kingdom. He acknowledges it, but he also accepts. He says, God has done me no wrong. All his works are right and just. In other words, he isn't bitter. He isn't resentful. He doesn't raise his fist to the heavens and say to God, I'll show you what I think of you. No. He says, I got what I deserved. God was right, God was just, but I got more than what I deserved, I got what I needed. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Thank God he humbled me, is what he's saying. And we see finally adoration. His reason returns to him. It is restored by God. And he blesses the Most High God. That is what sane people do. When you are in your right reason... You worship. And if you aren't worshiping, you are insane. If you are saved by his sovereign mercy, this too is your song to Jesus as he closes. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will, among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, 
What have you done? May he have sovereign mercy on all of us as it is offered to you in a Jesus who humbled himself upon a cross for your self-righteous sin. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. You're good. You're gracious in ways we do not deserve. We don't deserve your son, but save us and change us. Humble the proud, we pray, and, and lift up the humble. And forgive us for our continuing arrogance as the people of God. And make our boast to be in no one but Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to stand and we'll contemplate.